Welcome to what I'm tentatively calling the non-blocking podcast, a networking podcast for networking people by networking people, where we talk about anything from monitoring and alerting to configuring your routing protocols and maybe even some SDN. So I'm Nick Baraglio, uh, forwardingplane.net, and with me today I have Brent Salisbury. Brent, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, buddy. Good to talk to you again. As usual, we tend to talk a lot. Uh, my name is Brent Salisbury. work at Docker, uh, blog at networkstatic.net, and uh, find me on Twitter at networkstatic. Looking forward to today's show here. Yeah, yeah, same here. And our special guest today is Peter Fall of SFlow. Uh, am I saying that correct? I didn't actually ask you beforehand. Um, the company I actually work for is is Inmon. Um, Inmon, right, right. But um, you know we're heavily involved in the SFlow standard, and so I'm one of, one of the SFlow guys. Right. So you were the first name that I ever remember being associated with SFlow. Uh, well, my name's on the RFCs. So. <laughs> that's, that's probably why I remember it. Um, so. For, for those folks that may not know, um, why don't we talk about what SFlow is and and uh, then we can kind of go from there because I think that a lot of folks are probably familiar with what flow data is, um, but they may not be familiar with things that aren't um, specifically NetFlow, which is the uh, flow export type that Cisco uh, sort of pioneered, I believe, and supports. Uh, so, Peter, do you want to give us a, uh, a brief 101 of what is SFlow? Sure. Um, one of the reasons why I'm really excited to be having this conversation is is um, SFlow is something that I think um, people haven't really been aware of and is now um, becoming pretty pervasively available. Um, it's The um, technology is built into Merchant Silicon from Broadcom and Intel, Marvell, and and you know all all major um, ASIC vendors, and um, so as as switches move become more of a commodity, and you're using things like um, Nexus 3K or the equivalent from pretty much any other vendor that that is using Broadcom Trident ASICs, um, you have SFlow built into that hardware, and so I think it's worth. Um, spending a little time understanding what, what's there so that you can make use of this technology that's built into the networks that you're deploying. Um, the key thing about SFlow is really, it's a bit of a misnomer. Uh, it's not really a flow-based technology. Um, it uses, um, one way to sort of think about it when you compare it to something like NetFlow, which I think people are familiar with, is um, that it's a disaggregation of the functions that NetFlow performs. So, um, when you um, run NetFlow on a, on a switch or a router, um, there are packets flowing through the device, and there's a cache being built up that um, accumulates counters um, for each sort of five tuple um, extracted from the packets uh, by the device. And so you, you then get these sort of what are logically TCP call records being built up. And then when the, when the um, connection terminates, then that record um, is sent from the cache, and that's what's called a NetFlow record. Um, with SFlow, um, 
that's been split. So the flow cache doesn't exist on the device itself. It exists in external software. Um, and this has a number of advantages. S-Flow was designed to be um, uh, embedded in low-cost devices. And so it extracts a lot of the cost from the hardware um, and, and so the expensive uh, memory and CPU that you use to build a flow cache now exists in commodity um, x86 hardware rather than um, on the device itself. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so S-Flow is a flow technology, but only from the perspective of the collector. From the perspective of the um, exporter, it's really a packet-oriented um, technology. It's much more like um, like a span port, but with, with sampling so that you can... Um, monitor a lot of lot of ports that's i think you touched on a bunch of very interesting little tidbits there um the first one being that you know it's not really flow based per se although that's likely how a lot of network engineers and networking people are going to think about it because <clears throat> it, it sort of operates from the way you consume it um as an operator it it, it uh it looks very similar to how you would consume NetFlow, right? You, you, you shove it into a collector, a collector does some sort of aggregation, and then you can do queries against it in similar ways that you can uh, NetFlow records. But the fact that it operates differently on the agent side um, means a bunch of different things, right? It means it's not proprietary um, in theory, you know, which it isn't. Um, it means it can operate not only on network hardware, but also as an agent running on other types of systems. Like I've personally seen it run on servers, and, and um, we did it from uh, SDN-based network, uh, OpenFlow-based network uh, was exporting NetFlow record, or I'm sorry, SFlow records as well. So it's 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 a lot more functional, and in, in the in so much that it can be pushed out to other things that don't necessarily have to be networking equipment and it also supports a, a wider array of, of network equipment as well. Is that is that an accurate statement? I mean Yeah, although it's touching on the second um, sort of prong on SFlow. So what I first described was the packet sampling mechanism. Um, the other mechanism that SFlow supports is is basically streaming telemetry. So you you know a very common use case for SFlow is as an SNMP replacement. And a way to think about that is, is um, you know, polling a large number of devices with SNMP is, is a fairly, um, you know, resource-intensive task. If you were to scale out that polling task and, and, and basically embed pollers within each device so that they pull their own statistics and then... Um, emit them <laughs> as, a, as a continuous stream, uh, that, that's another important mechanism in SFlow. So you're getting all the sort of standard MIB2 um, counters that you'd expect, you know, IF in octets, IF out octets, the IF speed, you know, errors, discards, and those are being streamed continuously by the SFlow agents as well. And, and, and it's that telemetry mechanism that's been extended um, to export server metrics as well. So you get... Um, CPU and disk and I/O statistics from the servers, um, from VM VMs, from Docker instances, um, from virtual switch vports. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of en entities that you'd like to pull, um, but but polling is just doesn't really work well in in cloud environments where resources are appearing and disappearing. It's much easier if the device um, 
start sending you data as soon as a resource appears and then stop sending when the resource disappears. It allows the collector to continuously monitor um, telemetry from every every entity out in, in, in the data center. So Peter, uh, you touched on hardware exporters. You know, I'm always curious, you know, I, I tend to go to GitHub if I need a, a, you know, a, a software exporter and just look at, try and find the most popular one. And I just use that, whether it's, you know, NetFlow, SFlow, IPFix, there's a couple of them that'll support everything. Uh, what's your preferred one for uh, exporting like a vSwitch data path? Um, well, the, the um, instrumentation has to be built into the data path. So SFlow is built into the open vSwitch kernel module. Um, and then you enable it through the control plane. Um, and so it, it really, the sampling actions are built into the action chain that's associated with each um, each forwarding entry um, in the flow table. Um, sure. And, so, and I, I should have, I forgot to add in there, Linux bridge specific, I'm kind of curious about. So either, you know, Linux bridge or IPv LAN, Mac VLAN. Um, yeah, with other... Um, approaches you can use sort of IP tables um, to shim the instrumentation in. So the um, statistics module um, has a random sampling capability and then if you use the host SFlow agent it can receive the packet samples on a U-log channel or an NF-log channel um, and then it deals with the task of, of attaching metadata and marshalling the records and, and emitting them to the registered SFlow receivers. Mm, okay, very cool. So you, you touched on something else that uh, I think is a very interesting statement in that SFlow essentially can operate as a replacement for SNMP. Now, I don't think it's a big secret that SNMP is something that I hate with almost every fiber of my being, um, but I don't have a good alternative for it. I've never been able to find anything that can replace it. Um, from Not from the put standpoint, but from the pull. Um, and, and having an option out there that is an alternative to that, I think is really good because a lot of folks are in the same boat where they just don't, they don't know. Like SNMP is just a thing that's been there forever and that's what you use to monitor your network. Um, can you can you elaborate a little bit more on how that can operate as a SNMP replacement? Yeah, I mean it's really SFlow is a, a push model as opposed to a pull model that you have with with um, SNMP or NetCon for any of the other um, polling systems. Um, and push model is very popular in the sort of DevOps community. If you look at uh, most tools like StatsD or Ganglia or um, um, CollectD or Graphite, they all use a push model in which the servers push metrics to a collector. And SFlow works in, this, in pretty much the same way. Um, in fact, using a lot of the same kind of encodings, uh, SFlow actually uses XDR as the serialization protocol. And so it's really basically... XDR encoded structures running over UDP, um, and, and and the SFlow standard basically is just a library of a bunch of different standard structures that are pushed, um, and so you know really it's, that that's how it's extended. You know if you have a particular domain of interest, you standardize a structure 
to export, and those metrics then just get sort of pushed out with the with the Asplow stream. Right, and anybody can go out and write those, right? I mean, all of this is pretty yeah, open. It's a- it's an extensible um, protocol, and so each structure has a tag, and you can tag it with um, either a, a vendor code or if it's a standard the structure that's been um, developed through the sflow.org consortium, then it'll be you know tagged with the sort of zero ID. Um, but but a number of interesting ones that have been published recently are ones from from Broadcom. Um, and they've been they're published under Broadcom's um, vendor ID, and they export um, interesting details about the um, ASIC data path. So, for instance, um, and this sort of ties into a number of important use cases for SFlow in the SDN space. Um, one of the sets of metrics is the size of the various hardware tables and how utilized they are. So if you're, um, you know, want to make sure that you're not overloading the layer three table or the layer three two table, the S-flow telemetry from the Broadcom ASIC will tell you um, how many entries are available, how many are used um, for all the different tables um, in the ASIC pipeline. And that's, that's great to know um, because that's one of those things that is a hidden gotcha of the new fledgling SDN open flow world, uh, much like, you know, the route table growth size on the, on the public internet, you know, a lot of people didn't think about being able to consume a full table 10 years ago. And then, you know, when it, when it went over that magic number, now suddenly everybody's monitoring their, their route table sizes and their BGP prefix, uh, uh, numbers and things like that. Um, flow table and and other uh finite hardware resources on on hardware sdn platforms is something that we're going to have to do the same thing with well it's not just if you're using sort of OpenFlow or sdn i mean this is just an interesting metric to have even if you're using bgp as your control plane yeah, <laughs> i yeah, mean true, they, true. these switches have fairly limited hardware resources so you you know if you tried to naively put the whole internet writing table in, <laughs> you'd be sadly disappointed. They have you know, like <laughs> 30, 40,000 um, layer three entries. So yeah. um, having a, a, you know, a handle on that is, is very important. Another one that's really exciting is, is Broadcom added a lot of instrumentation in the Trident 2 and, and, and Tomahawk switches that they uh, sort of market under the um, Broadview um, umbrella. And um, they've standardized export of those metrics via S-Flow as well. So that gives you really interesting visibility into buffer utilization. Um, oh, interesting. Which is really important if you want to avoid packet loss. It's nice to have the early warning uh, that's telling you what the buffer utilizations are looking like. And it lets you be, um, again, sort of uh, um, rea- react to that. Because if you can measure it, now you can start to control it with things like SDN. And so being able to manage the allocation of, of traffic to different um, uh, classes and buffer pools allows you to get a much better handle on QoS, and so this instrumentation, you know, gives you a sort of a handle on delay and loss um, due to buffers and queuing. Well, and I think, you know, so S we we set the SDN word, so uh, it's it's so loaded these days and varying degrees of insanity. Um, I think S flow is really interesting. Anything that involves management right now is really interesting to me. Um, good friend john willis and i always kind of joke about you know we need to do the anti the anti-pattern to sdn because like we started out with packet forwarding 
oh yeah, let's let's just redo how we do packet forwarding and you know go back through these central versus decentralization, you know, decentralized um, uh, distribution models all over again. We're really the the practical and pragmatic place to start is like, what's going on in your network. Do you have any idea what's going on in your network? Nine times out of ten, you don't. Um, there's lots of different reasons. I think one of the bigger reasons is it's basically a data problem. So this is like a big data problem, right? You're going to have more transactions on your your flow collector than you probably do in your you know your enterprise ERP or uh, your mail server because there is so much going on in the network. Uh, so it, it's basically a data. So like having data gravity concepts being brought to visibility in the network. Uh, it's it's a distributed problem. We need to start processing. The, you know, let's take flows for example. Process flows at the edge and then aggregate them uh, into central collectors. Like, what what are your thoughts on that, Peter? Well, um, as I said earlier, the S flow doesn't um, aggregate the data on the device, so it's basically um, deferring the analysis to the collector. And so, one way to sort of think about it in the SDN space is it's software-defined analytics, that you're no longer um, dependent on the hardware to do the analysis for you, but you have the flexibility to aggregate the data any way you like. And uh, particularly in the in the case of, of, sort of real-time control, having a stateless export of data, um, you know, if, if the data is sort of sitting in the switch, then it's not really actionable to a controller. Whereas if you just export the stream of, of sampled packet headers in real time, then the analyzer has a real-time view of the you know, large flows in the network and can act on them in progress. Whereas if you look at how a flow cache works, it really tells you about expired flows. <laughs> and if, they're, if they've stopped, then there's no action possible to influence their behavior. And so that's really an interesting application for S-Flow is, is you know, traffic engineering, identifying elephant flows, um, acting on them um, by marking them or steering them, or in the case of a denial of service attack, blocking them. Um, so the, the visibility gives you that kind of, um, uh, the flexibility in how you analyze it really gives you the ability to target all those different use cases with different, um, different types of analysis. Yeah, no, and absolutely. So the higher order application that's doing the actual analysis, like I think that's where there's tons of room for innovation. In. So you know, when when I say aggregating it up, that's absolutely coming out of kind of the application space, which like all the, a lot of those packages already exist. It's crunching data that's not network data. You know, the, the problem is getting that data. You know, we've got to start deploying networking with monitoring. Like the that's the uh, you know we're starting to either have compute on switches. We're starting to have you know, there's more V switches than there are, you know, hard hardware switch uh, switch ports. So the, there's no excuse to like I don't have a server to prop something up to export to or things. You know. Well, that, that's why you know it's the whole idea that you could add on instrumentation. I think is is sort of misguided in this environment in which there's so many devices, both virtual and physical. It really needs to be built into the data planes, and that's really what SFlow is. It's in in the Commodity data planes in hardware, and it's in um, the you know vSwitch data planes from from for most vSwitches these days. Yeah, I know we uh, we used it uh, when we built the SCN network for supercomputing this year. Um, we had an inbound device there, and we just started pushing SFlow from all of the uh, OpenFlow switches to it, and you know it it started reporting. 
<clears throat> all the interesting analytics that were coming out of those. And, you know, the nice thing was, you know, being a dual stack network, we were getting V4, we were getting V6, we were getting, you know, hosts attached and very, uh, a very wide array of, of data was coming. It was all useful. Well, an important thing with S-Flow is that it, it's independent of the control plane. You know, it's a data plane technology. And in fact, it's it, it really tied uh, tied to um, the physical ports on the device. So you're randomly sampling um, packets as they ingress the, the switch. And it's exporting typically the first 128 bytes of the packet. And so the analyzer can decode that. And it can extract all kinds of interesting things, like the, um, uh, you know, the MAC addresses, the IP addresses. You can also um, go into tunnels. So network virtualization is a big thing now. And so, you know, if you're running a Genève tunnel, you can see the VNI and you can see the tenant MAC addresses and IP addresses, um, and and go all the way up up the stack. Um, so it gives you that kind of end-to-end -end visibility that you need um, in an increasingly complex, layered protocol world. Yeah, it was no. a, it was a very rich amount of information, and um, you know, it wasn't. It was nice to see something right out of the gate that was dual stack aware, uh, because you know, so much stuff now, it's getting better, but a lot of things don't take IPv6 into account, and that's another one of my little things that I think is important. So, just having that on without me having to do anything was was. Uh, Notable. Well, that, that's the important thing about SFO is that the switch doesn't need to understand IPv6 to report on IPv6. So you can have a really, you know, dumb layer two switch, and um, you know, basically, it's just it understands Ethernet. And but by exporting the Ethernet frame header, um, an analyzer can decode that and and give you the um, IPv6. IPv4 um, and and beyond analysis, um, which is in contrast to a sort of NetFlow device. Unless it's act, acting on those fields, it doesn't generally. It's not generally able to report on it. And so it, you know, it's sort of the difference between having a um, sort of a a data plane agnostic um, measurement technology. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. Now we we've talked a lot about you know how it's different, how it works, you know what you can get out of it, and you know what it supports. But one thing we haven't discussed is um, where did it come from, and you know what was the motivation behind creating it. Yeah, that that actually takes um, it's a long long story. <laughs> I originally developed a, a precursor to SFLOW when I worked at HP Labs in the um, early 1990s. Um, I don't know whether you guys um, ever heard of it. It was called um, HPEs for Embedded Advanced Sampling Environment, and then it was later rebranded as HP Extended Armon. Um, and it was built into the HP Procurve switches. Um, uh, but it was designed in a day when you know you had shared networks it was you know ethernet was really a, a shared medium and you had a coax cable with lots of taps <laughs> and it was a, designed as a technology for for hubs basically um and so sflow was a sort of um you know hp and 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 foundry networks at the time were moving to you know one gigabit switching and um 
they were looking for a technology that would, um, uh, you know, scale to high port counts and high bandwidth um, in a you know gigabit switch. And so, the Sflow um, standard kind of emerged out of that effort to instrument gigabit switches, and it um, took some of the ideas, you know, the idea of using random sampling, um, and then augmented um, the sort of telemetry stuff to, to replace SNMP. Um, and that really was, was the S-Flow standard, and it was developed in um, 2000. And then it went through a number of versions until version 5, which was released in 2004, which um, added extensibility. And so now, you know, basically S-Flow um, version 5 is the, is the version that everybody has, and new features are being added as, as extensions. Yeah, I think the first time I remember seeing it was on an old foundry, um, one of the huge chassis, if I remember right, but it was probably around 2000. Yeah, I'm just, so that, I'm that just would have first. I'm having flashbacks to uh, HP OpenView running on Spark boxes <laughs> as big as a refrigerator, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no one wants to have those flashbacks. Uh, so, so as changes go in, how long does it take? What's your turnaround time in getting that upstream with like, uh, you know, like Ben Pfaff and Justin Pettit and those guys that do you know, incredible work over in OVS? Um, it, it's pretty quick turnaround on the OpenV switch side. I mean, the, the developments on the silicon side, basically it's done. There's no real need to add any capability to to the S-Flow instrumentation, or you know, all the mechanisms you need are to maintain the basic MIB2 counters, which everybody's ASICs does already <laughs> to support SNMP, and and then um, the random sampling mechanism, which has been built into most vendors' ASICs for about a decade now. So it's very mature in the in the hardware side, um, where it where it, um, you, you get extensions on the hardware side is, you know, like the Broadcom examples I gave you. If the, ven if the hardware vendor adds new hardware instrumentation capabilities, then they'll publish the um, S-Flow specification for exporting them. And then it's really up to the various um, network operating system vendors, you know, like Juniper with Junos or, uh, you know, HP or, or Arista to um, add that capability to their firmware. Um, on the virtual switch side, on OpenV switch, um, the turnaround's much much faster because it's you know it's not hardware. Um, you have much faster cycles, and so we we worked them. I think last year's Op OpenV switch conference, the 2014 conference, um, Rackspace gave an interesting talk about some of the operational metrics that they use to manage their um, fleet of OpenV switch instances, and so um, we worked with them to add those. Uh, metrics to the S-Flow export from OpenV switch, and um, that was released about six months later. So it it can be quite quick to get the um, spec sort of agreed and, and implemented. Um, certainly much quicker on the software side than it is on hardware. Yeah, no, and I remember that actually. I was at that also. The uh, you know I'm now coded up OVSDB in both Go and Java, and so going through all the S-Flow, uh, you know, the setting up all the bindings and whatnot, it's all, you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, what, so where does the input come from that? What's the S-Flow 
so the, is it a foundation? I assume you guys. I think you guys use GPL for that. Uh, is it, I assume is that multi-vendor participation there? How's that process work? Yeah, it's it's a sort of industry consortium model. So generally, Asflow extensions are driven by um, equipment vendors who you know have um, data that they want to export. <laughs> so you know. Um, like HP wanted to export um, 802.11 metrics, you know, things like radio signal strength and signal to noise ratios and, and that kind of information. And so um, they, um, you know, it, we had a discussion on the asflow.org mailing list um, in order to define a set of metrics that were um, vendor neutral <laughs> um, to export um, wireless metrics. And then um, a, a number of vendors have now implemented them. And that's generally the methodology that people come to the SFLOW um, mailing list, anybody can participate, and they say, well, you know, I either have this data I'd like to export it, or, you know, I'm interested in this kind of data, and these are the use cases, and then the community kind of comes together to standardize and implement um, those specifications. So if I want to get, uh, you know, pictures of kittens per second added to the spec, I just go to sflow.org jump on the mailing list and put in the request. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that's in, interesting to note is as a sort of a difference between the philosophy of SFLOW and, say, something like IPFIX, um, SFLOW is really about the semantics of the measurements themselves. Um, the export format is, you know, it's trivial. It's just XDR over UDP. There's really nothing to say there. Um, what's much more important is what to measure, how you measure it, and to ensure that everybody measures it in the same way. Um, whereas, um, so, so S-Flow is very prescriptive in that way. So if you get S-Flow from any vendor's device, you'll get precisely the same data. And so you can, um, you know, you can just guarantee that if, if it says it does S-Flow, you're going to get randomly sampled packet headers. Um, it's a mandatory um, capability. Whereas if you look at um, something like IPFIX, it's a descriptive standard. It basically says, export what you like, but here's a, a sort of a set of um, type, data types that you can use to describe what you're exporting. And so it doesn't really do anything towards, um, you know, ensuring that certain measurements are made and um, emitted in, the, in, a, in a way that can be um, consumed in a multi-vendor way. So it tends to be, you know, you get very different records from different vendors depending on, you know, their sensibility and the capabilities of their hardware. Um, and, and that makes it quite difficult to do multi-vendor monitoring. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. you, you have to normalize all that on the collector. Well, yep. well, often you can't. I mean, if field's not there, it's not there. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's nice to have a sort of a base set of core metrics that are mandatory. Um, my, my memory goes back a long way. So I, the reason why we took this approach was um, Armon, are, are you you guys familiar with the Armon standard? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's now this sort of little degenerate thing that's the Armon <laughs> four groups that are useless. And, um, you know, it was originally, you know, it gave you visibility into packets and, and, and top-end analysis and all kinds of interesting things. But because none of the features were mandatory, you know, vendors are lazy. They'll just do the minimum required. And so because the customer doesn't know the difference. They see Armon on the package, and they think, oh, that's it's equivalent. <laughs> and so the vendors weren't rewarded for putting more effort into their Armon implementations, so it rapidly sank to the lowest common denominator. 
and really we didn't want that to happen with SFlow. We wanted the minimum to be to be useful, and so it requires that um, you do useful things in order to to claim SFlow support. Yeah, that's a problem that seems to recur in technology where you make the minimum requirements and then that's the requirement, right? We see the, I've seen the same thing with uh, OpenFlow 1.3 support, right? You've got, here's the things you have to support and then here's like three pages of stuff that you could and all the useful stuff is in the optional. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see that here's the spec, you follow that and then that's what's useful. Um, yeah, and, yeah. I know and, that, and it's, it, it's basically ahead. against the vendor interest to uh, you know, have rich multi-vendor support. Uh, I, I think that's breaking down. Or, you know, I think we've made some progress over the past couple of years. I think. Yeah. I think it's the more getting eroded. Yeah, as network nodes start to look like servers, you know, that that all goes out the window, and yeah. that's still kind of the missing link. You know, let me run code on switches. Done. Yeah. My code. <laughs> Yeah, and, and sort of t getting back to the sort of the the sort of SDN thing, you know, my, my interest is actually by training. I'm a control engineer, so you know, feedback control, <laughs> and and so one of the motivations for developing SLO in the first place was to um, make networks observable in a in a fairly formal sense, um, so that you could do um, feedback control, and um, one of the requirements there is that you have um, a certain set of key metrics that describe um, each device um, available. And so if, if, if a core metric is not available, you can't build a feedback controller. You basically have these blind spots that mean that your control scheme is unstable. Um, I mean, if you sort of do a sort of thought experiment, if you had two devices, one of which is instrumented and one isn't, um, how do you... Um, treat that uninstrumented device in your control scheme. I mean, you can either say, okay, because it can't tell me that it's overloaded, I, I treat it as a free lunch and I just pass all the traffic through it. And because it won't complain, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, that's a, a feasible outcome. But in practice, that, you know, doesn't work. Or, that, or you basically say, I can't use that device. I can only use the devices that I can, that are instrumented. And, and so really the goal Vestflow is to have an a technology that's um, efficient and simple to implement that provides the core necessary metrics that allow you to build interesting control schemes. And um, it needs to be simple enough to be um, embedded in everything, to be ubiquitous. Um, and, and really, that's why, you know, that's what's so exciting about it being in, um, seeing the, the sort of market trend towards um, sort of, um, standard sort of commodity um, networking components, you know, white box switches with merchant silicon um, fixed form factors. You know, these are really nice um, standard building blocks that you can build interesting things from if you have um, a decent control plane and a decent measurement plane. And so that's a lot of the work we've been doing in the last few years has been to really think about how you can um, dynamically orchestrate the behavior of those devices in order to um, perform traffic engineering functions. Yeah, that's 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 cool stuff, and I think that dovetails into, you know, what other types of devices. What what else can you do with it? Right, it doesn't necessarily have to be this networking thing. 
right? You can get telemetry data out of out of hosts, right? There's a host-based agent that I've seen run on Linux systems um, that you can do. You can stream, uh, you know, sflow data of you know host statistics and things to your you know to your management software, and then you've got analytics on that type of of uh, of system. Can can you talk a little bit about you know the host host based uh, SFO? Yes. So there's an open source project on GitHub that implements the um, the host SFlow specification. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, basically, it it um, the recognition actually came out of working with the Open vSwitch crowd that um, once you instrument the vSwitch, it's not really sufficient to understand the performance of your network. You really need to understand recognize that the vSwitch is just an application running on the server. <laughs> and if the server is overloaded, the network performance w won't be great. And so that was sort of the motivation. You know, we, we now had an agent on on the server as part of the vSwitch, and we really wanted to extend the visibility to all the resources needed to support the vSwitch. And so that led to the export of all the um, server metrics. And then... Um, and actually, one of the sort of philosophies of the SFLOW group is to organization is to not um, invent things that are well defined already. So, you know, as I said, we use the SNMP MIB2 definitions for the interface counters, and for the server metrics, um, the Ganglia project. I don't know whether anybody is familiar with that, but it basically it it's a way. It came out of the supercomputing. Um, sort of um, ecosystem and it's it's a set of standard metrics that you can export um, from high performance computing clusters and so the SFLOW spec basically just um, took those standard metrics um, standardized how to export them in SFLOW um, and so that gives you the visibility into the server resources and then the libvirt community um, standardized a set of metrics for virtual machines. <laughs> and so those are also exported since, you know, the vSwitch connects to VMs. It's kind of useful to get data about the performance of those VMs as well. So you can isolate whether it's a performance problem due to the network or, or the VM itself. Um, and also it adds certain metadata to the stream so you can identify the VMs, things like, um, you know, MAC addresses and, and um, UUIDs and host names so you can now color the traffic on the network um, using metadata that you're receiving from the hosts um, which is an interesting thing i mean they, if you look at a lot of the devops tools when they export say load averages from servers um, that's really all they export whereas with sflow it's designed to have an integrated data model so when a host sflow agent exports server metrics it also exports the adapter mac addresses which you can then look at in the in the traffic data that you're seeing from the network devices and then join them together so you can now see um, the load on each com compute resource who it's communicating with what paths those communications take and whether um, the performance problem is due to you know a, a constrained cpu or a constrained network link somewhere in the path between the different um, compute entities i could see that being extremely useful at scale, and then also on a smaller scale as well. But specifically, I, I, you know, the fact of the way that this fundamentally works seems like you could 
really push this up to you know hyperscale type data center interconnect monitoring and and visibility and then you're also getting you know the 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 cloud-based providers that are spinning up and down their you know their uh, their virtual machines and containers and things like that and you're getting all of that analytics as well yeah and I think one thing that's important to recognize is that the telemetry and the packet sampling are sort of complementary mechanisms so I mean if you th imagine you you're getting the say the um, IFN octets on an interface, and those are being emitted every 20 seconds or something. I mean, that'll easily let you see that a, a that the utilization on a on a link has spiked, but it's not really actionable unless you know what traffic is flowing on that link. There's nothing you can really do about it. Um, and so, what the packet sampling does is it gives you a way to disaggregate that aggregated counter. And so you can now look at the packet samples from that link and say, okay, it's just one big flow, or it's a DDoS attack, or it's a, you know, um, a, a file transfer, or you know, um, whatever characteristic there is in those packets can be identified and used as a control variable in order to find the root cause of the problem. Yeah, I could see that being really useful on as a service provider as well, right? Uh, specifically as you know, like a, um, an RNE network where you have to be able to identify elephant flows that are scientific data, but you're also transiting, you know, commodity internet stuff over the same lengths, right? You could, you could make that data actionable. And I think some people have done this already, right? You say, oh, th this is an elephant flow, right? Color it with this QoS profile or move it to this other, you know, northern path because it's less congested kind of thing. Yeah, there's a, I, I read an interesting paper, I think it was in ESNet or something, where they're using a um, science DMZ bypass function. So one of the issues is if you have a firewall and then you're running, you know, a huge um, data transfer from, you know, the CERN <laughs> Large Hadron Collider to your um physics lab, <laughs> um, you know, that can be a sustained, you know, uh, you know, 10, 20, 100 gig flow. Um, and, and really, there's no firewall that can handle that. So you really want a way to, um, to steer that traffic around the firewall. Um, and that allows you to use, you know, a much more cost effective firewall to inspect the traffic that's um, more likely to cause you problems. Right. Yeah, I might know and, a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 uh, if, if we're going to so start talking OpenFlow-based TE, I'm going to start getting scared here, guys. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to go quite that far. <laughs> the, uh, also, I think, I think another really important point, Peter, that you've highlighted is that consolidation of compute and network. So, because when we start talking about NFV, which is essentially you know, let's replace black box, big iron, and distribute it across... Um, you know, x86 commodity compute, well, now you have a scheduling problem. And to do scheduling right, you know, knowing what's going on in those endpoints is incredibly important. So, yeah, uh, and, you know, you can get a huge improvement with NFE if you um, do a better job of, of workload placement. <laughs> so, you know, if things chat, talk a lot together, you want to co-locate them to the extent possible. Um, and having visibility from the the network allows you to see, you know, where the large flows are, what paths they're taking, um, and find um, 
uh, and you, you have interesting degrees of freedom with virtualization. You know, a typical uh, a network design problem, you treat your traffic matrix as an invariant, and then you design a topology to handle it. Um, whereas with cloud-based workloads, you know, the workload itself is mutable. <laughs> you can decide where you spin up, um, uh, you know, containers or virtual machines and how you pack the workloads. And so having visibility into the um, communication patterns allows you to do a much better job of, of placing the workloads and reducing the stress on the network, which also you know improves latency and does a, a number of other good things. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's important, you know, for those out there that don't have the time to you know, even know or care about next generation networks, knowing what's going on in your network. You know, I mean, we're, if you're a network operator, you're guilty until proven innocent. Like, starting very Always. simple, starting with collecting the data is the first step of evolving like your networking skills because it's tangible, it's metrics, that's what the business wants. Uh, you know, I just think it's the perfect place to start is really starting on the management plane, cool. understanding the problems, learning compute as you go, learning what to do with the data. I think, I think what you said there is important, right? It's foundational to running a network, right? I'm, I'm passionate about monitoring stuff because I think that it's, it's harder to monitor a network and run it than it is to build it. And knowing what it's doing is the foundational step of that. And, and you hit the nail right on the head, Brent. And I think it's the first step to actually then optimizing. <laughs> so first you want to see what's going on. And then, you know, there are all these tremendous controls that you have in your devices. You know, you could use policy-based routing. You can do QS marking. But without data, it's very hard to know how to properly set up those capabilities. Um, and so really that's what I think um, telemetry gives you is, is the visibility to really unlock the value of the hardware capabilities you have. Um, Without visibility, there's no good reason to set a parameter to one v- value versus another. Whereas with visibility, you now have insight into how that resource is used and how you want to make the trade-offs between different um, users of that resource. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That, a, that is a very good point. Um, so speaking of visibility, how do we find out more about S-Flow, the software packages, the information on how to use it. Where, where do people look for that? Um, Sflow.org is the best place to start. I mean, it's the industry consortium website. It lists um, the, the products that, that support S-Flow. Um, it also lists um, software um, products for, for consuming and um, analyzing S-Flow, both open source and commercial. Um, I've looked at that. It's a great resource. And, and I will happily uh, plug, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of times where Google has led me to uh, the sflow.org blog. So, Peter, thank you for that. <laughs> yes, for sure. But that's where I think it, it gets really interesting is once you start to look at these control applications, I think it's going to – Nick, I think you're sort of a, a, a router head. <laughs> um, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on um, – uh, some of the work that's coming around using commodity um, switches as routers. Uh, have you been following the work that David Barroso has been doing at Spotify? Oh, yes. Uh, Extensive. Yes, I mean, I can't say that I haven't done some of that work myself. <laughs> so. yeah. um, 
But I think what, what it's a really interesting example of is if you um, take, um, you know, the, like the BGP um, um, ciders and, 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 and merge them with traffic analytics, you know, from Asflow, um, you now have a real-time view of, of what your um, active routes are. And then um, you, know, you can do a really interesting job of, of um, treating the hardware as a, as a cache. <laughs> and you know, I think the routing table is going to do nothing but grow as, as you know, the IPv4 space gets fragmented because of scarcity and as you know, poorly architected um, IPv6 <laughs> allocations <laughs> um, you know, further fragmented. So I think having a way in which you can use the res hardware resources efficiently allows you to do really interesting sort of hybrid routers that, um, you know, leverage the capabilities of x86 to do routing, but you're using them as sort of a, um, the slow path, and then you're using the hardware as a hardware accelerator for a software router. And I think those kinds of approaches, you can, you know, you can do terabit routing with very inexpensive devices um, by leveraging x86 and um, merchant silicon in a sort of integrated way. Um, yeah, combined there's, analytics. There, there's a that's a that's a huge box of win there, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I think there's a lot of merit in doing that. I think it's still a little clunky, but that's only because it's new. I mean, this is a this is a subject for a whole other <laughs> long discussion, I think. But you know, I I do agree that being able to even think about that requires you to have the data and the analytics and the baselines to to work from right you can't do it without them i mean you can but it's stabbing in the dark yeah and i mean that, it, that, it's hard to pick i mean it's a needle in a haystack problem i mean if you look at the internet routing table it's like 600,000 routes and you've got maybe 20,000 you can put in the asic so guessing the right 20,000 isn't you know you're not going to succeed um, but 20,000 if you pick the right 20,000 spotify showed that it covered 99% of all their traffic yep well, and I, and I think in general the open source control plane is kind of the next <coughs> battleground, if you will. Um, it's long overdue in getting commoditized. There's some really cool stuff, and what NTT does with GoBGP is beautiful. Um, you know, and the nice thing is we're talking about really coarse prefixes as opposed to uh, you know trying to guess at the state of every possible flow that could be in the network. I think it's yeah. going to be a fun place. Um. But that also leads into another interesting example. Is um, we we're talking earlier about elephant flows and, and interesting project we did with the Owen Lab um, using the ONOS controller. Um, they implemented sort of segment routing as a control abstraction for um, managing the open flow switches. And segment routing is a really nice way to do traffic engineering. Um, and and because uh, you know it gives you a way to sort of do policy overrides at the ingress switch, and so we were looking at detecting elephant flows, um, competing for um, uh, links in in the core, and, and so you could then use you know implement policy based actions to um, to disentangle those flows and improve the performance of the um, the leaf and spine um, fabric. Interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Because, you know, actually, it's kind of interesting. People sort of think that once you build a leaf and spine fabric that it's, you know, it's theoretically non-blocking. 
but actually, you know, you're hashing based on packet headers, and um, it's, it's sort of surprising how easily they collide. Um, it's I don't know whether people are familiar with the birthday paradox, but that's um, you know, if you have I think it's 24 people in a room, um, two of them are likely there's a 50-50 chance two of them will have the same birthday. Um, and so if you think about that as a sort of an ECMP problem, you know, if you had 24 flows in a and, and 365 alternative paths in the ECMP, there's a like a 50, 50 chance the two would collide. <laughs> um, so it happens a lot. And um, being able to detect that in real time and take control actions um, can have a, a huge impact if you have um, a workload that's driven by, by large flows. Oh yeah, and large flows are you know they're one of those hidden things that's hard to deal with, right? Because ninety nine percent of people that run networks don't really have to deal with them, and so they don't get a lot of attention and they don't get a lot of thought. But when you have one that you have to deal with, it's you know it can it can take your network down. Yeah, right? it can, it's, it's, until you do have to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. Oh no, no, just saying good stuff. Yeah, Gosh. definitely wonderful. I'm I'm bursting with things I want to look at again and for the first time. So, thank you, uh, Peter, for spending some time to talk about this because I think it's one of those things that people may have heard of or they may not even know it exists. But there's a lot of value. Um, and not just in the way that a lot of people think about it, right? It's not just a, a, a net flow analog. It's not really that at all. But, you know, it's all these other things, and it can sort of play that role too. And by the way, here's all this great data, and it can run on almost everything. So, yeah. I mean, One thing I'd like to add just finally is that if people are playing around with S-Flow, is, uh, S-Flow tool is something that should be in everybody's um, toolkit so to speak it's it's a command line s flow decoder and so it just allows you to sort of pretty print all the information that's in the s flow binary s flow telemetry stream and it's um you know lets you you know it's very easy to then use python or perl to to script your own custom analysis um and it can also do some interesting things like strip out the headers and repackage them as as pcap so um you can actually use s flow as with wireshark as a you know, a whole network um, packet capture system <laughs> and, and nose around all the packets and see, um, you know, if there are any anomalous um, packets flowing in your network. Oh, that's something I, kind of I wasn't familiar with. That's really cool. Yeah, I'd be curious. I'd love to get you, uh, I don't know, I'll probably post in the show notes or something, but uh, there's been a few of us in the community working on Dockerizing a lot of these tools. I don't just say that because I work at Docker. I think like getting simple templates up that people can get up and running and really kind of get a feel for, um, you know, how do I, how do I deploy compute? Because that's what we're really talking about are compute deployment problems, application problems. Um, so, and also, you know, what would be interesting, you know, again, talking to you with your Docker hat on is if the Docker orchestration tools, um, consumed S-Flow because I think it would give them telemetry that would allow them to um, you know, do, do a better job of being network aware and, and optimizing the full stack. Yeah, absolutely. There's some stats opportunity there for sure. So we'll have to dig in. 
we'll uh, we'll invite you over to Gopher Dash Net to do some skunk works with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, like we mentioned before, I think we can uh, we can all agree that uh, visiting uh, blog.sflow.org you know provides a wealth of information, and um, you know sflow.org is the page for the uh, the consortium. So, Peter, where can we where can we find you uh, if not on the SFO blog. Um, I also um, my my Twitter handle is actually SFlow, so nice. <laughs> that's an easy one to remember. Um, so you know, either the blog or, or Twitter is probably the best way to get hold of me. Cool, Brent. How about you? Awesome. Yeah, sure. Uh, Networkstatic.net. Uh, this might uh, kick my gears to get a kick out a blog post or two. It's been a while, and uh, on Twitter at Networkstatic. Cool. Yeah, it's been a little while for me too. Uh, I'm I'm overdue for a couple of posts, um, and for me, I'm Nick Braulio uh, at Braulio on Twitter and at uh, on the web at uh, forwardingplane.net. So, Peter, Brent, thank you for your time. It's much awesome. appreciated. Great keep information. Up, keep up the good fight, Peter. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. See you guys.